You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2021. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about without having to compromise life's everyday hustle. So save your fetching because we are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. I love today's episode. It's the perfect show to listen to with Rosh Hashanah just around the corner because I sat down with Liz Reuven, the food blogger and eco-Jew behind Kosher Like Me, and we talked about everything from easy Rosh Hashanah recipes to sustainable ways to decorate your home for Rosh Hashanah to how to get in the mood for Rosh Hashanah. And because Liz Reuven's blog, Kosher Like Me, is all about Yes, it's about Jewish tradition and Jewish food, but it's also about the fresh flavors of local seasonal produce. We talked a lot about sustainability and how to be an eco-Jew, which I thought was really, really interesting and which I know you're going to love hearing about too. Um, We touched on everything, like I say, from ways to get in the mood to Rosh Hashanah for easy recipes. We talked about doable ways to green your life in the coming year and why there are no shoulds when it comes to observing the Jewish New Year. You know this podcast is a no-shoulds zone and uh, we talked about that as well, no more shoulds. So it's a really great episode, not only to get some fun, easy ideas to make your home ready for Rosh Hashanah, but also how sustainability can be easy, joyful and above all Jewish. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. It's wonderful to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here with you from across the pond. Across the pond in Connecticut, is that right? Yes, that's true. Uh huh. And at the most exciting time of the year, there's just just under a week left to Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we're recording this just before Rosh Hashanah, five seven eight two or twenty twenty one. What an exciting time! It's my favorite time of year. That idea of new beginnings, a new year, all of this always gets me kind of jazzed. So I know you're all about the Jewish food. We're going to be talking Rosh Hashanah recipes and so much more. Um, but do you use this time to reflect and on the year past and set intentions for the upcoming year? Are you quite reflective as well at this time of year? I do. I do. I think it's an opportunity that's really a gift to us as Jews, that there's a time set aside to think about what has transpired in the last year. And of course, it's been a really rough ride for many people in the last year, in the past year, really year and a half. Um, So we have this gift of taking the time to really think and contemplate our blessings or um, anything that has happened and think about how we'd like to move forward in better, happier, more conscious ways. And do you have any intentions for the upcoming year that you'd like to share with us? Or have you thought about it yet? (laughs) Well, um, I haven't really thought that much about it yet, other than intentions in my own kitchen, if you want to hear those. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, well, I really think that as a 
Jews and as citizens of the world were really obligated to be as green as possible. And with the new and widely uh, distributed reports about what's happening in our environment that I think most of us have been paying attention to, but now we've got to pay very, very close attention to these very frightening and dire reports. I think being green in the kitchen and in our homes is more pressing than ever. So, you know, if there's one intention I have, aside from other things that of course have to do with personal relationships, I would say that we need to be as green as possible in our homes and in our kitchens. Yes. So let's talk about that in terms of Rosh Hashanah with it coming around so early this year. How can we have, let's say, a more sustainable Rosh Hashanah or a green, a greener Rosh Hashanah? It's not something that's often associated with this holiday. We talk about the food and the reflections and stuff. Let's talk about how do we have a more sustainable green Rosh Hashanah? Well, I think it's a great idea. I once wrote something um, and the title was something like, if Rosh Hashanah falls at the peak of harvest season, why do we serve beige foods? So listen, my family, I would have a complete revolt in my home if I didn't serve brisket and chicken soup, whether it's with kreplach or knedlach, that's dumplings or matzo balls or whatever. So there are certain things that I will serve and my family really wants me to serve. And all of that is important because that's tradition. But I think to start with being having a more green and sustainable holiday, we have to start by eating seasonally. And we have this fantastic opportunity to wander through your local farmer's market or what do you call it in London? Is it a green market? No, we call it farmer's market too. That's okay. one word we, we share. No, there's not that many, but we share farmer's market. <laughs> yeah, and to shop and to support your local farms and to buy things that are in season. So I always put together salads and other side dishes that reflect the season that we're in. And for the holiday for Rosh Hashanah, if, if it's about new beginnings, if you're accustomed to doing certain types of dishes that don't reflect the season, it's a great opportunity to insert at least one and hopefully more that really reflects the bounty that we have at this time of year. And in addition to that, you know, it used to be that because I was always overwhelmed by the number of um, dishes that would land in my sink, I would start off, let's say with appetizers, maybe on paper plates, and maybe I would finish with paper plates for desserts um, so that I could just get through the dishwashing part of the holiday no more paper. <laughs> There's no more paper being used um, other than things that are compostable. And um, we can't really assume that everything that says compostable can be taken by your compost uh, folks if you use a service. So you need to check that out first. But I would say if you reduce the amount of paper and you eat seasonally, you've made big strides. So what what kind of seasonal produce do you love to incorporate into the holiday menu? Give give everyone some ideas. Okay. Well, um, apples first. I mean, you know, they're really omnipresent, I think, on the holiday table, especially in the Ashkenazic uh, canon. Apples certainly have come in, even though it may be very hot in the beginning of September, apples are coming in um, beginning, well, they, they did come in really in the beginning of uh, in the middle of August, but things like apples and beets and carrots, um, local honey, uh, these are things that can be incorporated in 
salads very, very easily, cabbage, um, tomatoes. Why not serve a beautiful tomato salad? Why would you have to buy, or why would you, it's, it's not any easier to buy packaged greens in your supermarket than it is to make a simple tomato salad. The tomatoes are, you know, overwhelming the markets at this time of your corn, beautiful tomato corn salads. So what I'm advocating is, you know, really seeing what's in the market and letting that be an inspiration for your holiday menu instead of, let's say, we do a brisket, let's say we do a chicken soup, but it, you know, potato kugel, eh, unless your family is crazy about potato kugel, see if you can buy fresh potatoes and do some kind of a simple, you know, roasted potato, do a tomato salad, do a, you could do a corn soup, so easy and so delicious. So really see what's in the market and use that as your inspiration. I saw a beautiful um, recipe yesterday for Sephardic jeweled rice, which could be a great way to incorporate anything that you find at the farmer's market and then throw in some pomegranates and some flavor. And you've got a, it's such a beautiful looking dish as well. It's always a celebration when you see that rice on the table. I love that idea. Yes. And tell me about your, I love, you, you sent me some, some recipe ideas earlier and that salad with symbolic, symbolic items in it. Oh, that's one of my favorite salads. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I presented this salad at a food conference at the Chazon Food Conference here in Connecticut a few years ago. And what I did was I turned to the Encyclopedia of Jewish Foods by Gil Marx, which is really the, I would say the, the most important book in my food library. It's a full encyclopedia. Of, we'll link to it in the show notes if anybody wants wants to refer to right. it. Right. It's called the Encyclopedia of Jewish Foods by Gil Marks. And so you can look up holidays, you can look up ingredients. There's a ton of cross-referencing. So I was really excited to see uh, under the um, entry for Rosh Hashanah that there are lots of foods that are associated with um, incorporating positive energy into your meal. And there are things that I wasn't aware of, you know, in my Ashkenazic, with my Ashkenazic background. So this salad, which is on my website, Kosher Like Me, incorporates grated carrots, which are associated with prosperity because they look like coins. I love that. Um, yeah, beets, which are really referred to as beet greens, but let's say beets and we're, we grate them and they are associated with safety. Um, that, that's to say safety from our enemies, protection from our enemies, apples, which are about the inclusion of um, the divine presence. Dates are symbols of beauty and strength. These are things that were all mentioned in the, um, in the, sorry, in the Talmud as symbolic foods pomegranate arils, which as most people know, are associated with fertility and the love of mitzvot. And honey, of course, uh, to sweeten the salad, it's associated with immortality and truth and all good things being sweet. And seeds in the end, which I love to put on the top of almost any salad, which is a, an association with 
plenty and fertility. So when you take a look at that salad recipe, it's just everything grated up. It's bright pink because of the beets and the carrots. Follow the directions because if you do it in advance, um, you really wanna keep the ingredients separated, but it's a fun conversation starter on the table because you know a lot of people aren't aware that in the Jewish, um, in the Talmud, we have all of these writings. So it's just super fun to include something like that. And it's cool and it's cooling and it's going to be hot this year. Well, it comes in so early, doesn't it? We're all taken yeah. a bit by surprise, but hopefully with our resources and the podcast and inspiration from people like you, we're getting everybody ready in time. So we're going to talk about easy, quick, easy ideas to make our homes ready for Rosh Hashanah. Let's start with recipes. We all love menu planning. We want to get organized. What are some easy Rosh Hashanah recipes that you're loving for this upcoming year with it coming in a bit early this year? Right. Well, last year I did a recipe that I was really crazy about, which was an apple compote simple, simple simmer of apples with a few different ingredients, including things like cardamom and cinnamon. So a bit of a twist on the compote that you may have grown up with your grandmother serving. And then I did a layered parfait with um, seasoned tahina or tahini and a non-dairy yogurt and flaked halava. And I assembled all of these into a pretty glass and I put them, if you have the room, I put them in another refrigerator, covered them all with plastic and then pulled them out. So that was a cool dessert, which I really loved. And there was honey in there and there was apples in there and there were, you know, other spices. Immediately. I can't wait another week for that. I'm salivating. It was <laughs> a real so surprise. <laughs> it was a surprise to me when I, I, I worked with a company called Seed and Mill, which makes beautiful yes, really nice um, tahini and halva in New York City. And we really brainstorm, brainstormed um, very successfully on this idea. So, I mean, I would basically do that and a simple honey cake or an apple cake. Um, I have both recipes on my blog for honey cake. I'm not the biggest honey cake fan, but I have one that's drizzled with a lot of chocolate. So that converted me. I think it could convert any honey cake naysayer. Oh, good. Um, and, um, you know, recipes for simple chickens that are a simple, quick roast with a little bit of honey, a little bit of olive oil, maybe some dried fruit, those kinds of things, or a brisket, both of which I have on my blog are all great if you just use them as starting points and then you have these cooling salads on the side. I mean, we're talking about the beginning of September. You're gonna want cooling foods, in my opinion. I so love I that. would serve a gazpacho too. I mean, if, if um, yeah, my family likes gazpacho well enough so I won't have a revolt. <laughs> Well, I'm going to be making one of your recipes. I will share it on Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm, it looks great. It's the pomegranate and honey glazed chicken. By the way, all the recipes that Liz is mentioning, we will link all of them in the show notes. Don't you worry. You just head to the um, show notes page, just search for this episode and you'll find all the links there. So don't worry about those. But Thank I thought it'd be so fun. If, if you try any of Liz's recipes or you're having fun listening to this podcast, just tag us on Instagram. Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and also let us know what you're doing for Rosh Hashanah and, and your menus or just take a screenshot of the podcast, put it up on stories, tag us and, and join in the conversation. Um, 
And what about Decor? How do you like, um, again, talking about sustainability as well, you know, it's not maybe so much about paper decorations, but what about making your home ready for Rosh Hashanah? What do you do? Right. It's a great question. I love to go with clipping things from my yard because I have a beautiful garden. And, you know, um, if, if I find really beautiful honey candles, for example, which I think are pretty easy to find now. I have something on my blog about table settings where it's not always about the really fancy stuff because, you know, a lot of people are making the holiday for the first time or a lot of people are newlyweds or new at entertaining. And it's okay to have your simple white porcelain dishes and set up your candles um, maybe go with a theme. So the theme might be white because white is the color of fresh new starts. Um, whether you have flowers to clip at your neighbors or in your own backyard, or you can go out and buy them, make a commitment to a color and a color may be white. Maybe you connect it to something else. Like maybe you find or have a beautiful bowl that you're going to use for serving and maybe just pull one other color from that um, so what, what I was going to say about the candles is in addition to, you know, having lots of candles, even if it's just late afternoon, I still love to have candles. You can also buy more than you need and pile them on some plates at the end of the tables, you know, use things as props, beautiful jars of freshly sourced honey. The labels are often really cool and really beautiful, you know, stack them up. Um, or give them to everyone on their plate and put a place card in front of them so that they know where to sit. Um, and, you know, you can sort of enhance your table, even if you don't have a lot of what we call schmancy stuff. Um, you can use props like honey jars and candles and flowers, snip off some flowers and put a bud on the, on the table, um, on the place setting. I just you know, I'm not one to use a lot of china and I never pull out the sterling, which I should do. But if you don't do have shoulds, it, we don't allow shoulds on the podcast. <laughs> this is a no should zone. It's all about what sparks Jewish joy. And obviously for you, it's not your silver sterling. It shouldn't be on your table. Shouldn't. I, lo <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. I just wander around. And I see what inspires me. And if mm. if whatever flower is blooming that week at my at my market or in my backyard, you know, I'll start the table there. I do love a basic white cloth because I think it's a perfect ground for anything that comes up. I mean, when you meet that honey seller and they're actually raising bees and making honey themselves, it's a great way to support them. And it's a great way to put cool props on your table. I love all those ideas. And um you know, using produce as decor is so fun, so colorful. I have some of the fun things that I've seen around are um, ombre apple sort of grazing boards, honey and apple crates. So you find, you know, all the different colors from red, orange, yellow, green, you, know, you can make a Gorgeous. beautiful ombre board. I've seen apples also, um, a little bit of a fire hazard, but you may want to give it a shot where you kind of take the tip off and you put a tea light in the top of the apple and they can be sort of apples as tea lights. Careful with that one. Um, but, you know, apples as sort of decor. And I love your idea of a white tablecloth, maybe simple white plates and then an apple at e on each plate on top, you know, on the setting. And also I know we're not quite into fall. Well, we're kind of into fall by the time we're shining around, but like fall colors as well is really, really decorative and fun. 
um, and flat, fresh flowers, just whatever you've got, even if you don't have a garden, whatever's, you know, what growing wild locally, you know, something that makes you, whatever makes you feel good. We don't, as I said earlier, there's no shoulds on this, on this podcast. I love that. And also something that I learned from someone who did a um, styling session with me a few years ago, she bought um, moss at a crafting store. Now, I don't know that you know, going into moss is really messy, by the way. <laughs> but if you want to make a runner down the middle of your white tablecloth with moss, and it could be muslin, or it could be any kind of um, woven material that you could buy just a few yards of, you could make that your runner. And then if you start with a lot of apples, I like the idea of abundance, because one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah is that we hope for abundance and well-being. So loads of apples, piled and tea lights. I love the idea of tea lights nestled in the apples. You don't even have to cut the apples, which are going to turn brown and look, you know, yeah. not maybe not the way you want them to, but you could also use those two tea lights with the batteries. Yeah, no, this, you is, know, this is all good and stuff. And just give a little glow to the table that always helps. And if you're loving these ideas, if you do any of the ideas, make sure to DM me and Liz, we really want to see your Rosh Hashanah tables. And I, I mean, we're all different, but I personally connect with what Liz is saying about simple and authentic rather than getting the fancy stuff out. That that resonates with me too. So I never want you to feel like you haven't got the right stuff or your grandmother never did it this way and you're new to Judaism and you you have to buy stuff from Target or from or you're making it yourself or whatever it is. There's no there's no right or wrong way to be Jewish. It's what sparks joy for you and gives you meaning, especially at this time of year. You know, Karen, I really love your message here. And I think it's so true. And I would add that whatever helps you to, as you said, to feel authentic and to feel relaxed, you know, to, to say this table represents who we are. We're not fancy people. We don't do China and crystal or we are. And that that's a good thing. It's very, very beautiful. Absolutely. Heirloom stuff and you pull it out just for certain holidays. It's all very beautiful. But I would say that my biggest um, tip, and I think most people know this, is to do as much as you can in advance. Especially with <laughs> it falling on a weeknight. I've been getting some DMs about that. Give us some tips how we can prep in advance. Right. Well, I really, again, because it's going to be very warm, I would do things that can be served chilled and I would have them, you know, when I, when I serve a large salad of any kind in that bowl, if I have room in my refrigerator, I'll, I'll throw, not throw, <laughs> I'll nestle other bowls in that bowl of washed greens. I'll have the greens wrapped in, um, in uh, very clean dish cloths. And then I'll have little bowls with all the other ingredients prepped, nestled right in that bowl. So all I do is unwrap that bowl, pull out all of the ingredients that have been prepped and toss it. Dressing of course is made. I think that we'll probably serve a cold soup. So there's, we're saving on a pot because it all happens in a blender if it's gazpacho and the tomatoes are just overwhelming the market right now. So I would have all of that. And the thing that I do, and I know a lot of people do this is when I set up my buffet in advance or when I set my table, I, 
I put markers down that say, um, you know, chicken, the platter says chicken on it, the bowls, uh, I don't have to say soup in my bowls, but uh, I might say, you know, shredded salad on that bowl. And I put notes in all of my containers and on the places where they go, because otherwise, you know, people start coming into my kitchen, everyone is well-meaning, but I get overwhelmed. Even those of us who have entertained for many years, it's easy to get overwhelmed and to say, I, I don't remember what that bowl is for. I have no recollection. And again, so it takes notes. the joy, it takes the joy out of it. So anything we can do to not feel overwhelmed is, a, is so helpful. So yes. Exactly. So that, that would be my key tip, yeah. And how do you get in the mood for Rosh Hashanah? What do you do in the week or two beforehand? Well, I would say that um, I have a group of friends who I connect with. We often do sort of an informal recipe share, you know, where someone will say, what are you doing for a salad? Or what are you doing for a starter? And someone will say, oh, I have this fantastic recipe. So that happens kind of organically. But I also spend time um, by myself. And, uh, you know, I'm a big swimmer, I will take walks, I'll spend time, you know, sort of setting an intention that a particular time in the water might be spent really thinking about what I want, as the new year begins. And, um, and sometimes we speak about it as a family too. I love that. And it is it is such a big part of the holiday, the reflective element and the setting exciting intentions for your head. We're actually doing a a workshop um, in a week or two where we're going to I invite you, the listener and Liz as well. We're going to be meeting on Zoom and setting intentions for the upcoming year together to get you to sort of embody the strong Jewish woman you were born to be, what you want for the upcoming year. And just to bring us all together, it's gonna to be completely free on Zoom. If anybody's listening and wants to join in with that, it's yourjewishlife.co, yourjewishlife.co slash Rosh Joy, R-O-S-H-J-O-Y. Yourjewishlife.co slash Rosh Joy. We're all gonna meet there. And uh, I'd love everyone listening to join in because how powerful would that be for us all to sort of connect, be together, reflect on the past year and set our intentions. So that's it's gonna beautiful. be fun. <laughs> that's gonna be it's, fun. It's a very powerful idea. I mean, I think, you know, again, one of the things that I love so much about what you're doing for the Jewish community of women is, you know, eliminating the shoulds and allowing people to share their own inspiration and their own journeys. And, you know, whether you grew up Jewish, and I did, or whether you're new to Judaism, or whether you're learning about Judaism, it's, uh, it, I think that sharing with as many women, especially as possible, really helps us. So even for someone like myself, who has sort of a pattern for Rosh Hashanah, I would love to hear what other people are thinking about because it sparks new ideas for me. So thank Absolutely. you for that. It's the power of the community, the power of the group. You know, that's why we have a membership, Smashing Life, which is my babe, my third child. It's my my community membership club for Jewish women and Jewish women. And it and it, it's a sort of, it's a flavor. This Zoom workshop, I hope, is going to be a flavor of, you know, you can see what goes on in the membership because it's all about the power of the community and how to build the life you want on your terms, empowered by that incredible community of, of Jewish women. So still on the subject, Roshana, what what's one new thing that you can recommend that we can do for the holidays, something new? 
Ah, well, if you use paper, stop using paper. <laughs> um, I would, you know, in, in an effort to make your kitchen more green, just, you know, use cloth uh, for napkins and for tablecloths. And I would say, and I know this sounds like a big thing, I would say, see if you can research and start to compost food waste in your kitchen. Um, I started composting after thinking about it a lot. I thought about it for way too long because I, I never really explored any services that were available to me. I just assumed I was going to have to take my food scraps out into my yard, fear for the animals that would be, you know, the fox and the foxes and the deer. And now we've even had bear here in Connecticut, put it into a container, run back in the dark. I'm a little afraid of the dark. I thought that every, that I thought that composting meant that I would have to do that and churn it and smell it and worry about, you know, other kinds of little animals. But I started composting and I'm using a company that um, I think is a great model. And I think that there are lots and lots of companies that are doing this now, which is they simply pick up your compost once a week. I put it, you know, I have a compost bin on the side of my sink. I put all of my food scraps in there. There's a, you know, sign on the container that tells me what I can put in that container, which I know, you know, I know it pretty well now. And once a night when I take out, when we take out the garbage, I also take out my compost. Today I took out my compost. I wasn't even cooking for an event or we were actually away for the whole weekend. And my compost bin, which is huge in my garage was completely full. It was so heavy that I could barely carry it out to my driveway. So if you're trying to contribute in positive ways to the healing of the environment, see if you can compost because even during normal weeks when you're not cooking for large numbers of people like you do for a holiday, you wouldn't believe how much food waste um, scraps you generate. And um, so I would suggest that you research if you have some kind of a compost pickup service in your area and it's worth it. That's really inspiring. Thank you. You've inspired me with that. And what other tips do you have on being an eco Jew? How can we be Jewish and more eco? <laughs> eco Jew. That's so funny. Um, well, as I said, I would, I would shop locally and I would shop seasonally so that um, you're supporting your local farms. And I think that's really one of the most important things that we can do for our food system systems across Europe and America, certainly. And um, see if you can attend some events in your community that give you suggestions for how to help. So whether it's um, picking up food waste or potential perspective food waste and delivering it to places where people are hungry and they need um, more food. There's something in our, well, actually across the whole country now in America called Food Rescue, where they have this simple app on your phone and you sign up and you give them your zip code. You don't give them your address. And it, it alerts you when there's a pickup to be made, let's say from your local supermarket or from a, any kind of grocer or a restaurant, a food that's about to be wasted. And it just comes up 
in the app on your phone and alerts you that there's food to be picked up in one location and to be delivered to the next location. And you can just say, yes, that works for me at that particular time. And because it's such a smart app, it knows exactly where you are. So it doesn't give you a pickup location that's more than, I don't even think it's more than 10 miles from where you are. And the same with the drop-off. So I would say as an eco-Jew, eco-Jews. <laughs> <laughs> there's someone here in Connecticut called eco dude so it's so funny that you're calling me that but anyway I think that contributing to the environment in small and large ways like that is I think it's incumbent upon all of us Jewish or not and you know how does your Jewish identity inspire your commitment to sustainability it's obviously a huge for you this commitment to sustainability is it connected to your Jewish identity um well I think I just come by it naturally. Actually, my mother shopped at um, a local farm stand. I was aware of the food coming in on trucks from farms that were probably two hours away. And I've always just been very connected to nature. I think, you know, I went to Jewish summer camp and the values of um, connecting to kindness to the land allowing the land to recover after it's been planted, kindness to animals. I think it's very much a part of Jewish values. And I think that it's sort of permeated in subtle ways for me over my lifetime. So I'd like to hear more about your, your life, your Jewish life growing up. How did Judaism play a role in your life growing up? Well, um, we celebrated all of the Jewish holidays. Um, my mother lit Shabbat candles. I went to Jewish summer camp, but I went to Jewish summer camp a little bit later. Um, I was probably 12 when I went and it was, um, it's called Camp Ramah and it's all over this country. And there was a great and um, I think very, very smart way that they integrated Hebrew language into the camp experience, into the camp experience. So um, little did I know that I would marry an Israeli man and that I would need Hebrew to communicate with his parents who don't speak English. But I would say that Judaism just was very much a part of our lifestyle. Yes, it was just there and it was, it was, it was part of your identity. And mm -hmm. do you think, do you think it led you to, I mean, did you have an interest in Jewish food and cooking as a child? Did it lead you to your career and, in, 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 you know, your child? In the Jewish, in the Jewish food world? Well, um, interest, interestingly enough, my grandfather was a baker um, from Poland and he was trained as a baker when he was a child. His father insisted that he do a, um, a, a three-year apprenticeship um, and he left his small village or shtetl to go off and be trained and he hated it. He hated it very much. The person who was working with him was very abusive and he escaped, <laughs> ran away a few times, which his father certainly um, had no tolerance for. But so I grew up with a lot of uh, Jewish baked goods in my home. But because of that, ironically, my mother never baked because my grandfather brought everything with him almost every Sunday. So I didn't grow up really with um, 
learning how to bake. Um, my mother wasn't well when I was a teenager and I did a lot of basic cooking. It was just simple and easy for me. Um, I watched a little food TV growing up, but no, there wasn't any massive influence. It's just that um, actually I'm trained as an art historian. And so digging into the symbols and meaning of objects or things that are more than what they appear to be is just a natural inclination for me, I would say. And I love to eat. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're, I'm going to talk to you about Jewish food in a minute. I'm just going to take a, we're going to take a quick break. I just want to tell you lovely listeners about something that I absolutely love. And we'll be right back. I wanted to take a moment to tell you about my community, my Jewish community membership club. It's for Jewish and Jewish women all over the world. And I want to tell you about it because you might want to become a member. So it's such a special place. I want you to know what it's all about. Um, in one line, it is everything you've ever wanted in a Jewish community. Um, it's for all Jewish women, whether you are in the process of converting or have converted, or you're a patrilineal Jew, or you're traditional, or you're not so observant, or you call yourself a cultural Jew, or a traditional Jew, or whatever it is. In fact, we are just not about labels at all. As long as you've got a connection to Judaism and you're ready to build the life you want on your terms, you're ready for smashing life. It is a place to share Jewish culture and joy, a place to connect with like-minded Jewish women. It's a place to live your Jewish life your way, what the podcast says on the tin. I want you to live that with us, empowered by the community. And obviously inside the community, you're going to learn beautiful, modern and traditional Jewish rituals that will fill your life with purpose. You're going to advance in your life and career, and we make it so much fun. It is a joyful place, the place to nourish your own personal development while connecting with other like-minded Jewish women around the corner from you and across the globe. And we have all kinds of ways of facilitating connection. You'll never feel like the new kid inside Smashing Life. You'll be immediately welcomed and supported and loved. There is so much warmth in there. It is this beautiful, safe, non-judgmental space. And like I say, we have a lot of fun. We have, we do so many things. We have plenty of social events, both online and in real life. We have meetups all over the world, but a lot of it is online. If you live somewhere remote or you just fancy staying in your pajamas for the day, but you wanna hang out with your fellow Smashing Lifers, we, we do lots of fun. On social events you'll access a community of ready-made like-minded Jewish friends again both local and international there's so much thought goes into our monthly programming we have expert masterclasses chosen by you we have all kinds of fun things going on like weekly yoga and a book club and crafts club we have a member generated recipe book where everyone shares their recipes and we have this gorgeous recipe book for you to flick through it's online flick through virtually and and find the recipe book that you want we do have a grand plan to publish it and make it into a, a wonderful cookbook that we can sell for charity but right now it's a virtual members only smashing life jewish cookbook it's wonderful we have 
have great Jewish bake-offs. We have modern Jewish life experts coming in to, to, to share ideas that are going to inspire us and fill our lives with purpose. We do virtual Shabbats masterclasses. We have plenty of members-only discounts and gifts, and we add new ones every month. It's a place for accountability and support when you need it. It's an environment of opportunity and Jewish values. And I would love you to, to join in and, and, and experience it. I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about what Ashley, one of our members says about it. So I want you to hear it in our members words. She says, Smashing Life is an absolutely magical community that provides connections to kind and supportive Jewish friends all over the world. Masterclasses to help guide us with life hacks accountability partnering, yummy recipes, twice weekly Zoom yoga sessions and Zoom get togethers and in-person get togethers too. And we are close enough to share our life milestones and victories and vulnerable and safe enough to share our defeats and low points. And we receive an incredible amount of genuine support for each high point, low point and everywhere in between. Join Smashing Life for year round awesomeness, warmth, support, fun, life hacks and resources oh we love you ashley if you're listening to this and you fancy joining smashing life all you need to do is head to smashinglife.club and add your name and email address to the waitlist that's smashinglife.club c-l-u-b and add your name to the waitlist and you'll get an email just as soon as a space becomes available and our doors are open to welcome you in so if you are ready for connections and friendships that will last a lifetime if you're ready to advance in every area of your life and of course if you're ready to build a life you want on your terms and be part of a group of jewish women to connect engage and share life struggles and triumphs with you are definitely ready for smashing life so liz gotta ask you what's your favorite jewish food ah my favorite jewish food well uh gee that's a tough one um well, I really love apple cake. I don't know that we can call that a Jewish food, but I associate it with, you know, the cake that must be at my Rosh Hashanah table. Um, I just love a moist apple cake. Um, and for us, that means making sure that it's parv or dairy-free. So there's, it's an oil-based cake rather than a butter cake. I don't use margarine because I think it's scary. Um, I really love gefilte fish. I really do love gefilte fish. Oh and my I know, god! I know it's tricky. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm about to bow out of the episode because I'm thinking about the smell of. I mean, it is really like the marmite of the Jewish world. Yeah, it mar- yeah. It's like, in fact, let's do a poll on Instagram. I want you guys to tell me, DM your Jewish life. Do you love gefilte fish, or do you can use that word hate? Oh my god, that's too strong a word. Or did you dislike gefilte fish? Um, right. I can't deal with it, but you absolutely love it. I love it. And then um, these are all the really traditional foods. Like I love a dairy kugel, a kugel that is completely laden with the heavy duty stuff, fatty stuff, sour cream, cottage cheese, lots of eggs and lots of noodles or luxion as we called it growing up. I grew up with it being called luxion kugel. Luxion means noodles. So I love stuff like that, but I really don't make those things other than for holidays because a lot of these things, you know, they don't reflect 
our growing environment, the environment where things are grown. They reflect tradition and that's very beautiful, but most of them are kind of heavy and fattening. Have, um, you, have you tried to kind of bring it up to date to blend your love of those foods with your love for farm to table and... I have, I have. I did a strawberry, um, fresh strawberry kugel last summer or a couple of summers ago that was really delicious and people loved it. Um, you know, I grew up with like a dairy kugel with canned peaches. Did you have that growing up, the canned peaches thing? So my mom is um, Sephardi, so we would no have no kugel and no canned peaches. But my dad's Ashkenazi, so I, I did have a little influence there, but the food was was not, no, no, we didn't, is the short answer. <laughs> right. So I've done that, you know, I've done seasonal kugels, um, you know, I'm doing a brisket taco for the holiday I love season, that. I love you know, that. Brisket with, pickled, taco. with pickled onions. So um, that's, you know, would, would I call that updated? You know, I would just call it a new way. I love it. And again, it's, well, my next question to you is going to be, what does your Jewish life, your, your way mean to you? And that's kind of a, a brilliant example. It's taking brisket to be fitting into your life today. But what does your Jewish life your way mean to you, Liz? Oh, it is such a great question. Thank you. I would say that it means um, really respecting uh, the growing environment, the earth around us. I think that that really is the, uh, the thing that guides us it guides us in the kitchen it guides us as we're we're planning a wedding now for my daughter it guides us as we're planning a wedding it guides us um i have a shabbat dinner group it guides all of us my whole group which is really fantastic uh there are 12 of us it, it guides us as we plan our get-togethers so i would say a my way is a way that i hope lots of people are thinking which is respecting the environment and helping to heal the environment and heal the world around us in everything we do so your daughter lana she's actually in my bride's club we love her she's but how exciting that you're, you're planning a wedding for anyone who doesn't know i'm also the founder of smashing the glass um which which actually came before the whole your jewish life uh, brand but it's our sister brand smashing the glass and we have a membership for brides called brides club and Ilana is a, a one of our gorgeous members but how is it for you planning the wedding and yeah it's going to be sustainable and eco <laughs> well we're going to try um yes I know she's part of your club and I knew about your club way before she did because I've been following you and all the incredible things that you've been doing you're really one of the most creative people I know oh, thank um, you so yeah well, that bride's that bride's club is really fantastic because you show such an array of different types of people and weddings and ideas I love that well, it's what inspired the Your Jewish Life Your Way message because Smashing the Glass is all about your Jewish wedding your way. You know, there's so many beautiful traditions, but make them your own and stamp your individuality on your wedding. That's what inspired Smashing the Glass. And then this brand was built upon that, Your Jewish Life Your Way. So Ilana, and you'll be thrilled to hear that our next resource dropping in Brides Club, literally any day now, is funny enough to our best tips for planning an eco wedding so that's, oh, fantastic. that's, <laughs> fantastic. that's really amazing. but tell us about 
your wedding. I want to hear about your wedding as well. Okay. <laughs> well, the first thing is that um, I've really retrained myself. It's not my wedding. <laughs> it's their wedding. <laughs> it is absolutely. No, and when I say your wedding, I literally mean your actual wedding. <laughs> your oh, wedding. My wedding? Yes, your wedding. Liz's oh, wedding. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know my mother my mother planned our wedding I had absolutely nothing to do with it seriously see I would never hear those words from any of our brides women and I would be terrified if I did hear it in this day that's fascinating I, had, I was 22 years old and my husband was 25 he was post-Israeli army um there was a whole level of formality and I would say expenditure that was really um hmm, how do I say it <laughs> it was really shocking to us and I was so young I just didn't have any opinions I was just busy finishing up my degree at university I was very young and I didn't really have any opinions it just happened and it was a really fun party but um in contrast now I love that the brides are really fully involved and driving the force and the grooms and the grooms we see and the, the groom. grooms yeah and um, you know you're speaking about um eco weddings I I will tell you that you know because I'm very active on Instagram I get to and I and I see a lot of the thing obviously I follow you so I found um things that are connected to weddings and wedding waste and I found someone who I think think was starting in another city not New York City and they do pick up of flowers that's right and they they will transport the flowers to a site disassemble them reassemble them in smaller arrangements and deliver them to area hospitals you probably know about this. yes yes absolutely we know about this and we 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 recommend it yeah it's fantastic so that's one of the things that kind of thing that I think is very important so that, you know, all of that money and all of that effort and all of that beauty doesn't go in the waste bin. And if it did, I would really hope it was composted. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, we haven't chosen a caterer yet. Uh, we're very lucky. Um, we're, um, Ilana's getting married at the New York Botanical Gardens and they have- a Oh, it's beautiful. Wow. Oh my goodness, dream venue. Yeah. (laughs) Really beautiful. And they're very accustomed to doing kosher weddings. And they have, uh, I think, four or five kosher caterers for us to choose from. And, you know, their practices, not just their food, but their practices, their waste practices and their sourcing practices is going to be top of mind for both of us. She very much feels that way. Absolutely. No. And that's why, you know, produce this guide as well. It is front of mind for couples and uh, vendors need to be getting their eyes together. And I'm sure they are. What we'll do in the show notes, because everybody's now going to want to know about this venue is, well, we featured some weddings on Smashing the Glass previously um, at the Botanical Gardens. So I'll link to them in the show notes so people can get a flavour of the venue for anyone that's kind of confused as to why I know so much about weddings and this is a a lifestyle podcast um my background is when I got uh engaged in a nutshell actually episode one is all about my story if you want to hear about it in in depth but I got engaged realized there was no one place as a sort of modern go-getting Jewish woman to feel inspired or get advice or guidance on Jewish weddings so I started a small blog called smashingtheglass.com and it grew very quickly and uh, you know years later you know we've taken over the world basically (laughs) 
I'll be my own pushy stage mother here today. And uh, and then this 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 lifestyle brand, which is my absolute passion and purpose now, was was built sort of alongside it, but after it. So that that's the basis. Um, so yeah, life happens. Um, well, I need to go back and listen to your first episode. Then I will say that I've been really blown away by the breadth of information um, and inspiration, but a lot of practical suggestions and resources. You are just really helping brides and uh, definitely on this podcast, also helping just Jewish women with hands-on resources, things that we can click into and really find some answers and inspiration. Inspiration is just as important. Maybe Um, that's the root of everything we do, isn't it? Absolutely. And we have now, our, we have our Brides Club for Brides. We have Smashing Life, the membership for anyone, any Jewish women, Jewish women that, you know, want to lean into their identity in a fun, supportive community. And, and, and we're also all about, you know, a lot of the ideas that you were talking about, it's just about giving people ideas, they'll latch onto one, two, three things, and they run away with it and, and make them your, your own. And I, and I love that you've lent into this, you know, in later life, when you contrast where you were when you got married, and, 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 you know, what, what inspired your journey? How, how have you, what's the story of kosher like me? How did you get to where you are today? <laughs> oh, it's a great story. Um, so, we um, we live in Connecticut, about an hour from New York City, and my husband was commuting to New York City while I was doing um, a lot of volunteer work in this community, especially in the arts. And when our youngest went off to college, we decided that it would be fun to have an apartment in the city, um, not just for the fun of it, but to reduce the commute, which is over an hour long. And Unlike most people in our community, we had never lived in New York City. We came from Boston where we had met at university. So we moved into the city part-time and we had a schedule. You know, we went in on Mondays and we came out on Thursdays and people would say to me, so how do you know where to eat? Because there's so many fantastic restaurants and you keep kosher, but like, how do you keep kosher? And what does that mean for you? And I said, And then we would talk about it and I would say, well, I kind of keep kosher like my grandparents did, which is that my home is kosher and I eat fish and veg when I'm away from my kosher kitchen. And then they would say, I'm kosher like you. And I would say, wait a minute, you're kosher like me? And I love that. (laughs) Kind of how it started. So I really, we were going out to eat a lot and I really enjoyed writing about restaurants and writing about restaurants that had a lot of vegetarian fare, even if they weren't vegetarian. And I, you know, for example, if there, was, there were certain restaurants that always had a vegetarian based soup on the menu and you didn't have to you know, pick apart every dish. So I was writing about restaurants and then I realized that was really not going to be the thing that people were never going to find me that way. So I started doing more recipes and taking photographs and interviewing uh, small producers and going to more farmers markets um, to help build ideas that were seasonal. And, you know, it's been about 12 years and uh, there's a very strong um, Jewish food community in, in the country, but certainly in the New York area. And it's been a very supportive community. We've had writers conferences and retreats and all sorts of things. So, you know, 
I think it's the kind of community of Jewish food writers where if you need something, you really can ping someone and say, hey, I'm desperate for whatever it is, a photographer, a recipe, um, you know, an idea, the proper cookbook, and we've gotten to know each other. And it's become more inclusive, of course, with Instagram and, you know, social being what it is now. So it's been a very interesting and exciting ride. So you're obviously very passionate about all this and, you know, this, this journey and where you are now, but does it, is, is, is it what gives you purpose as well? It's, it's, you know, with all the sustainability element, is it, is it passion to purpose almost? Yeah, I would say so because, you know, a lot of Jewish food writers write just about food and the writing is, you know, in many cases, inspiring and incredible and very creative but for me, I want to, I really like the weaving together of seasonal and local and Jewish life and kosher like me, keeping of kosher. So for me, it is really a purpose because I want people to be thinking, hey, it's Rosh Hashanah, what's in the market? Or it's Pesach, you know, what are we going to eat for Passover when, you know, really what's coming up and, you know, in the grounds could just be onions. Well, what are we going to do then? Um, so I, I really, you know, Sukkot, you know, let's make sure that we're supporting our farmers and using exactly what's grown in some cases, five or 10 miles from where we live. So yeah, it is, it is my purpose, I guess. And what, what tips do you have for people that live like right in the city? Um, you know, obviously me in London, we've got loads of loads of our audience in New York City and across America and across the world, but in big, in inverted commas, dirty cities, you know. What tips do you have for, for, for being an eco-Jew, sustainable food, all the stuff we've covered if they're not in a sort of more rural area? Right. Well, if you're eating, when you're eating out, it would be great to know where the food is coming from. So if you're, you know, if you love a restaurant or you're considering going to a restaurant, check out what they're saying on social media. If they're, you know, touting the fact that they've picked up, you know, a ton of eggplant from the market that week, um, it means that they're supporting local farmers. So I would say supporting restaurants that are sourcing food properly is a really great way to connect with local um, local food. If you can shop your farmer's market, it's a great way to do it. People always say to me, it's more expensive. And I always will argue back that when I buy a plastic container of greens at my local Whole Foods market, um, after I take off that top layer, it's always, almost always gunky or rotten on the bottom. So I will argue that if you can shop at your farmer's market and you can put your hand on and look at or ask your farmer if you're not handling the food because of COVID now, if you can ask them to just show you that head of lettuce, I will argue that it will be more economical because it's fresher, because it will last much longer in your fridge if you take care of it properly. So um, I would say most restaurants that are, that are supporting small farms are really um, pushing that out in their social media. So I would say, take a look for that. 
There's also so many, it's not quite as eco-friendly as shopping at your farmer's market, but if you're very time poor, there's so many subscription services that once a week they'll drop on your doorstep a box of fresh, random fruit and vegetables and it's farm fresh and you get to get really creative and come up with some farm recipes, maybe using a vegetable that you've never tried before. Um, so there's all I kinds love, of ways. I love that model. I think the CSA model is fantastic. And if you can add on to whatever their basic is, you know, by ordering their um, eggs or whatever their add-ons are, um, I think it's, I think it's a great way to support local. And as you said, you know, there's either a, a local pickup, a depot for that, or it can be delivered. And if you're working full time and you don't have time to do all of this, see if you can have it delivered. And maybe you don't have it delivered weekly. Maybe you have it delivered twice monthly. And maybe that's what's more comfortable for you economically, but it will change the way you cook. It will inspire you. So we're going to wrap up the episode with... Um... I think we should wrap it up with Rosh Hashanah, something to do with Rosh Hashanah. So tell me your favorite Rosh Hashanah tradition to inspire everyone. Okay, I would say that my favorite Rosh Hashanah tradition is um, going to synagogue, going to services together as a family. And, you know, that feeling that I have when we're all getting dressed, let's say at my home and people, you know, descend into always the kitchen or the living room and everyone looks sparkling clean and fresh and we head off and there's this feeling of something big is about to happen. And then we go to services and our services are very relaxed and it gives us plenty of time to do reading and to contemplate. So aside from a great holiday meal and hopefully good weather so that we can eat outside. I would say that's my favorite. And my favorite tradition since, since I've had kids, my girls are age six and seven. We love baking challah together, the special round challah for Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite time poor. I don't have time to, to bake challah every week much as I'd love to. So that's what makes, you know, our, our Rosh Hashanah special. And the kids are so proud of that challah. And it is, it is special family time. And of course it tastes, whatever they put in it, it tastes like the best challah ever because it's made with love. <laughs> that's right. And those memories will be with them forever and ever. And for you too. Oh, thank you. Um, so just a reminder to everybody to, to join. We'd love you to join um, Your Jewish Life's free New Year Joy Workshop. It's happening just after Rosh Hashanah, after the craziness of the holidays. We're going to meet on Zoom. We're going to reflect on the past year together as a group. Let's all get together, set our intentions for the upcoming year, and let's embody the strong Jewish woman you're born to be ready for a fantastic upcoming year. Um, Liz, it's been the greatest pleasure having you um, on, the, on the episode today, and how wonderful to prepare for the hug together. It's a real honor. Thank you. It's really been my honor. Thank you for asking me to join you. And I can't wait to listen to all of the podcasts. I see that you have an amazing lineup and I can't wait to listen to these special women in conversation with you. Well, Chag Sameach, Shana Tova, Liz. And Chag Sameach, Shana Tova. Shana Tova. 
I'm so excited to invite you to my live workshop. It's going to be on Zoom. It's a brand new workshop called the New You in 5782 Workshop. It's going to be a one-off event to become the successful Jewish woman you were born to be. And it's all about seizing the momentum of the coming year, 5782, and taking achievable, positive steps towards the life that you want on your terms with Jewish values. We're going to get together, all of us on Zoom, so hundreds of like-minded Jewish and Jewish women. We're going to gather together on Zoom just after Rosh Hashanah for 90 minutes. And together, we're going to set achievable goals that align with your values. We're going to be setting them as intentions together. So it's going to be really fun. Um, there's going to be dancing breaks. There's going to be laughter. But there's also going to be lots of learning and lots of breakthrough moments. Um, so I invite you to join me for the new you in 5782 workshop. You'll leave with a plan for the coming year that's actually gonna happen. I want you to put an end to the cycle of making promises to yourself that you never follow through on. And believe me, we all do that. It's it's you know we have we have the momentum, we want to set things, we want to make things happen, but we don't always follow through. So let's put an end to that. Let's get together, let's hang out, hundreds of Jewish women together and me, all of us together on Zoom and let's do this for the new you in 5782 workshop. Just head to yourjewishlife.co slash roshjoy to save your space. It is free, it's totally free, but you have to register. So go to yourjewishlife.co slash roshjoy. That's yourjewishlife.co slash roshjoy, R-O-S-H-J-O-Y.